I believe it's already on. Yep. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Um, my name is Dan Koak, and uh, it is certainly a privilege to be with you this, e- this, uh, this evening. Um, this morning, it's been a long day already. No, not really. Um, how many enjoyed that extra hour of sleep? I woke up this morning. I, I have an internal clock, and I wake up every morning at the same time, and I woke up, and I saw a little bit of light coming in the window, and I asked my wife, I said, what time is it? She says, 5.30. And uh, in my mind, I thought, oh, good. Now I can take advantage of that extra hour. <laughs> and I rolled over and went back to sleep. But anyway, I enjoyed that extra hour this morning, and uh, we appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Thank you for uh, the, the motel room taking care of our family. We appreciate it. Uh, Miss Pat over here took care of us last evening and had a wonderful dinner with her. And uh, we just, we thank you for the opportunity to be with you. I have family with with me this morning, and uh, this is my wife. Uh, her name is Delena, and uh, I appreciate my wife. I, I call her D, and uh, I tell everybody that if you want to be her friend, want to let her know that you're her friend, just call her D. Otherwise, if you don't want to, then call her Delena. And that way we know where you stand. Um, no, we just, uh, D is short for Delane. I, I appreciate my wife. Next summer will be our 23rd wedding anniversary. I thank the Lord for that. Uh, Emily is our youngest child. She is uh, 15 years old and a uh, uh, sophomore or 10th grade in high school. And uh, David is our 17-year-old. And uh, he is a senior. I had to think about that for a minute, David. He is a senior. He'll be graduating um, in May of, of this next year. And uh, so you guys can sit down. We appreciate um, our children. We do have two older girls. Some of you have made comment about remembering um, that we had four children, and we appreciate that. Thank you so much for um, remembering that. Um, it's always encouraging when you go into a church as a missionary, and they remember you. And um, so we appreciate you remembering that. Brianna is our oldest. Um, she'll be tw- she's 20. She'll be 21 in March. And uh, she is a sophomore at Maranatha, but sitting out this semester or this year trying to raise funds to get back to school. So we'd appreciate your prayer for her. Um, she is taking a voice performance major and uh, Lord willing will be teaching in the area of music when she graduates and uh, Alyssa is our second oldest. She's 19. Is that right? She's 19 years old and is a sophomore at Maranatha living in the dorms and is studying cross-cultural studies or missions and minoring in Spanish and also taking sign language. And uh, her burden is to work, eventually work with the Spanish deaf people. And so we, we appreciate our kids and their heart to continue serving the Lord, and what a blessing that is. But we are missionaries to South Korea, sent out from Calvary Baptist Church of Jefferson, Wisconsin, as Pastor mentioned, and I thank you for not holding Pastor Aikens against us. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we appreciate the opportunity to be with you here this morning. Um, let me just, um, by way of introduction for ourselves, We were here, I believe it was about 2008, and so we were just about a year and a half or so into, maybe just a year, into our full-time deputation, 
and we probably were about 30% of our support, and uh, we appreciate you praying for us. And uh, this last year has been an exciting year for our ministry, our family. Um, we, we started last, when I go, when I talk about a year, I'm talking from the third week of October to the third week of October, because that's when we have our annual conference with Baptist World Mission. And we report to the mission board how, where we're at and things like that. So a little, little less than, or a little more than a year ago, we had our annual conference with Baptist World Mission. We reported to the mission board that we were 67% of our support. And we were excited about that. We had seen the Lord bring in that 67%. We're so thankful for that. But this year, just a couple of weeks ago, we were able to report that we were at 90% of our support. And so we're so thankful for that. We, we've seen the Lord do a tremendous work this year um, in the ministry and in our pre-field ministry. Um, we had opportunity last summer to, uh, my wife and I went out to Boston Language Institute, and we had opportunity to have a four-week crash course, if you would, in the Korean language. And uh, we just, uh, four weeks, four and a half hours a day, um, one of the first things I found out about myself is that my brain only stays on about three and a half hours at a time. And so about two and a half hours, three hours, it's good to take a break <laughs> and let, let your mind rest. But uh, that last hour every day, we had four and a half hours a day for four weeks, um, and it was four to five days a week, depending on, on the schedule of what we had to get done and things like that. And... Um, Boy, that it, it felt like the teacher just took a shovel, opened up our brain, and was trying to pack in as much as he could in that four-and-a-half-week time period. Um, but we're both able to read the Korean language now. Uh, we're able to form some light, some easy sentences. Um, the, biggest, the biggest thing we need now is just to build vocabulary. And so we certainly would appreciate it if you'd pray for us. Um, in that process, as we work with the kids as well, we're, um, they, they're required with, for their high school course uh, coursework, they're required to take two years of a language. And uh, so this year we're teaching them the Korean language and going through the book that we had last summer for our language, um, language class. And that is solidifying what we learned as well as helping the kids learn and uh, working towards vocabulary and see, things like that. But one of the most exciting things that happened during our time in language school, um, we, we were staying in, um, down south of Boston in a mission house, and every day we commuted about an hour and a half to, um, to the Boston Language Institute, but there was one week where we had to stay at a different church, um, and they, they were willing to, this church, when I called them, they were willing to bring us in and, and hosted us for that week. And, um, but the pastor, when I talked to him on the phone, he had a policy. He wanted to meet a missionary face-to-face -face before he would have them preach in his church. So we didn't schedule a meeting um, to preach. And um, that was Father Day weekend um, that we were staying with them. And we went in on Saturday, and I shared with the pastor my testimony and and things like that. And if you recall, we came home in furlough in 1980. My father, my parents were missionaries over in Korea from 1970 to 1980. 
And in 1980, when we came home on furlough, my parents, my dad divorced my mom. And for 25 years, I didn't see my dad. We had no relationship with him. And uh, finally, in, in July of 2005, 25 years to the day, um, I had opportunity to be able to go out and see my dad for the first time and spend some time with him and uh, reunite together. And um, so pastor asked me to share my testimony about my father and how the Lord brought us around and, and reunited us. Um, and my father since then has asked for forgiveness from my, my brothers and my sister and I, and we're very thankful for that. And so I was able to share that as a testimony that Sunday morning um, on Father's Day at this church in, in uh, near Boston. And then on Tuesday, the pastor came to me and asked me if I would be willing to preach on Wednesday night and present our ministry and preach. Well, as a missionary, anytime the Lord provides a meeting in that way, of course, you're willing to do that. And so I presented our ministry and, and preached what the Lord laid on my heart. And that evening, a man who had been attending the church for 30 years um, went forward and got things settled between himself and the Lord. And he told me after the service, he said, every time pastor during the invitation would ask that, um, if, if you know 100% that you would go to heaven, would you raise your hand? Oh, we're familiar with that question. And of course, 100%, he'd raise his hand. He said he raised his hand every Sunday. But he said he was never above 90%. And he said as a result of um, the Lord working in his heart um, that, that evening and, and things like that, he knew he had to get that settled. And so he accepted the Lord as his Savior that evening. And uh, we're so thankful for that. We've seen the Lord um, allow 19 different people come to the Lord during the time of our deputation process and pre-field ministry. We're so thankful for that, that fruit that abounds to the account of those who support us and those who pray for us. And uh, what a blessing that is. And so we had that, uh, we saw that blessing as we were out in Boston Language Institute this summer. And um, Lord willing, um, by March of this next year, um, we're already setting plans. We're getting starting the process of visa paperwork. Um, we've got to get into the doctor's office and get all kinds of shots. <clears throat> and um, I'm going to have to ask you to pray for me. When it comes to shots, I'm a wimp. Um, I had, when I was in the Army, um, and they put us through the line, and every time we were processed to go overseas, and yeah, they call it a process, <laughs> just like processing at the meatpacking camp um, company. We were processed to go overseas, and all oh, those shots, and um, I do not, when, when I get shots, if they're working on this side, I'm looking this way. <laughs> I don't look at that needle, but uh, we... We, we are working on that process, um, passports, um, all those things. And Lord willing, the, the middle of March, um, we'll be flying over to Korea and getting some housing set up and things like that. And coming back for David's graduation in May. And uh, Lord willing, then the four of us will move over to Korea. Um, David does have some decisions to make. And we would ask that you would pray for him. Um, he'll be 18 years old in, in March. Um, and... Um, so he's trying to decide what to what to do as far as work and school and things like that. Um, where my desire, my wife's desire, 
of course, is that he would go to Korea with, with us for at least the three months. Um, but he's anxious to get into um, a full-time job and start saving money for college, and we understand that. And we're just seeking the Lord's will in that area. We just ask that you would pray with us about that. And so we certainly appreciate um, being here. As I said, I'm going to have my wife come up, and uh, she's just going to take about uh, five minutes or so and share a testimony with you about how the Lord brought her around to um, the point where we're at today. And, uh, and trust that you'll enjoy that. She said that for me the confirmation was when when she told me that she felt the oriental culture was growing on her really she she's not willing to admit it but really the confirmation is the fact that she ate kimchi and <laughs> um, I growing up over in Korea till I was 10 years old I love kimchi and um, I if you want so if you want a taste of heaven just go ahead and eat some kimchi and uh, if you don't if you don't care for it well then get your heart right and then you will <laughs> um, no that's not true um, but I, I love, I, now, I will admit this, I'll, I'll tell you this story. We were over in Korea in 2007 for our survey trip. And um, as we were, as a custom over in Korea for, after the, the morning service, they always have a fellowship dinner. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. Korean food, we're in Korea. This is going to be a delicious meal. And the pastor comes to me the pastor of the church were visiting and he said brother dan he said i know you're a missionary he said i don't want you to feel like you have to eat this food he said we're having some soup and he said don't feel like you have to eat it please if you don't care for it it's okay we're not going to be offended and he said if you don't care for it you don't have to do the good missionary thing and eat it anyway he said i just want you to understand that i'm thinking Pastor, this is Korean food. What Korean food do I not like? I grew up in Korea. I know what Korean food is. So sure enough, we go to sit down for the dinner. And they put this bowl of soup in front of us. And in, in the Korean place settings, they'll give you your bowl of your, your, your soup, in this case a soup, and you always get a, a bowl of rice. And then they put the condiments out in front of you. And so you'll have, you know, in, in our setting, we had about four people and the condiments for those four people right there. And then right next to us, the next four people, they had their condiments. And it's mirrored, mirrored the same thing all the way down the table. And so here we're sitting there and they got the kimchi out there and the shigumshi and some other 
dishes and bean sprouts and stuff like that. I think, oh, this is great. And so we pray, and I take take some rice and kimchi, you know, I'm starting, I'm starting to just really enjoy myself, and I take some of this soup. Yeah. I found the first Korean food I do not care for. <laughs> and I took some of that soup and I thought, it can't be that bad. And so I and I took some of it and I'm like, whoa, this is not good. And I whispered to my wife, I said, you better put that as a gravy on your rice. And so we took some rice and we would, of course, we're eating with chopsticks. And so we take the rice and we put a little bit of the soup on it. Wasn't any better. <laughs> and I try. I thought, well, eventually, you know, like bad coffee, if you drink enough of it, eventually you can tolerate it. I thought, well, certainly I'll get this down eventually. And I ended up just putting it aside, and I thought, oh. So I ate rice and kimchi and some of the other condiments. My wife didn't care for kimchi, doesn't care for kimchi as much as I do. So she had the rice and a few other things, and, and we were satisfied. And my younger brother is a missionary in Korea, and he was in this church that we were visiting. And so after church, we went out to the car. And I'm not the smallest person in the world, I recognize that. But my brother at the time was over 100 pounds heavier than I am today. And we go out to the van, and he's helping his wife put the kids in the van. They're each on one side of the van. They had the double sliding doors. And Nathan puts his son, Joshua, I believe it was, in the van, puts him in the car seat. And he says to his wife across the van, Becky, I'm going to go down around the corner here to McDonald's and get something to eat. We just had a dinner. And as a loving brother that I am, I stopped him. I put my hand, I didn't grab his shirt, and you know, but I put my hand on him and said, Nathan, what are you doing? You can't have two meals in a day like that, right back to back like this. I said, you're trying to lose some weight. And he just looked at me. He goes, what do you mean two meals? He said, I didn't eat any of that stuff. He said, I'm going down here to McDonald's to get what I want. <laughs> and I said, thanks a lot for telling me. He said, well, it's not my fault you didn't sit by me. <laughs> and so anyway, we've had our Korean food that found the Korean food we don't care for. Um, we did find out later that um, very few people actually eat that fish soup. Um, do I dare tell what it really is? Teens, you want to you want to find out what it was? It was raw fish that they took everything, the whole fish, and put it in a blender and turned it on, ground it up, threw it all in a crock pot put a few spices in and warmed it up. And um, not a recommended meal. <laughs> if you made it today, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going to try it. <laughs> oh, but anyway, so that's a little bit about Korea. Um, you know, your, the, the memory verse this week that you have here is, I say unto thee as Peter... 
the Lord is talking to Peter, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And as we are so close to going to Korea um, and being church planting missionaries and the pressure in the physical realm, the pressure of how in the world are we ever going to accomplish this? What do I know about starting a church? What do I know about pastoring people and then on top of that in a foreign culture and and Lord, what am I going to do? And at the annual conference in Baptist World Mission, I was reminded by this verse that it's not what we do, but it's Christ who builds His church. And when you add that to missions and you think about in Genesis chapter 3, this isn't even the Sunday school lesson. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, if we have time. In Genesis 3... Right after Adam and Eve fell, um, there, remember how they were in the garden and Adam heard the voice of God and they hid themselves. What did God do? God said, where art thou, Adam? Remember that? God was seeking a relationship with man at that point. You see, God already knew. God knew where Adam and Eve were. But the fellowship had been broken. Sin had now come in. And God is seeking a relationship with man. Why did God have give the instructions to Moses for the tabernacle? And all those specific instructions so that God could dwell in that holy of holies so that he could have that relationship with man. And today, why is God building his church? So that we as his creation can worship him in spirit, in truth, and have that relationship with our heavenly father that he is so desires to have. And he promises that it's upon this foundation, upon this rock of Christ, he will build his church. And what an encouragement that has been to me to be reminded of the fact that God does the work through us. God, young people, God can do a work through you if you allow him to have his way in your life. Folks, if we surrender to Him, He will use us to build His church. And what is our motivation for that? Why is it that we work to, to despite the, the, the things that are going on in the world, despite the, perhaps the persecution, the, the be, being made fun of, despite why do we serve God? What is our motivation for it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you turn there this morning, verses 14 through 21, I don't know that we're going to get through the whole thing here, um, but certainly as we go along, if I need to streamline it, we certainly, certainly will. What is our motivation to serve God? 
What is our motivation to allow God to use us for his service to build his church? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 we read, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Verse 16, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh? Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled for God, or be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Father, we ask this morning now that you would give us understanding of your word. We pray, Father, that you would um, just work in our hearts. Father, draw us to yourself. And Lord, we'll certainly thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We have, the, we have in, in verse 14 an interesting word. It, it, we read, for the love of Christ constraineth us. You, you look at that word constraineth, and in the original word, it's the word suneko, which comes from two Greek words, which combined means to hold in union, to compel or to arrest, to hold into service. And often people look at that word and they, you see the aspect of it compelling us into the work of the Lord as a result of Christ's love. But... I want to look at a different aspect of it. I want to look at the controlling aspect of the word constraineth this morning. Um, when I was serving in the military in 1991 to 1995, um, my wife and I were married. We were living down in, in uh, southern Kentucky, right outside of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And um, the way that I drove into work every day, I went down this little highway, and um, at the end of the highway was US 41, four-lane divided highway, and there was a stoplight there, and it was a T-intersection, and that highway went up and down that highway on the west side of that highway was Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where I was stationed, and different gates along that highway uh, in which I could get on, on base and, and go to work. And um, during those years, I was driving a 1984 Mercury Cougar, and I really enjoyed that car. I, I, I tell people that if you know what kind of car that is, you recognize that that's just a cool car. And um, 
the Borkhart boys remember that car when my wife was living with them um, while we were dating. And um, I would stop by once in a while and they liked being able to see my car. They thought it was just a cool car. Well, I thought it was a pretty cool car and I wouldn't have bought it if I hadn't. But um, so the problem this car had as it got older in the winter months when it would get cold out, the throttle would stick. Well, this particular morning, I went out to start my car, and I get it running, and I my habit was to make sure it wasn't, wasn't froze up. The throttle wasn't froze up. Well, sure enough, this morning it was froze up. And I recognized, man, by the time that loosens up, thaws out and loosens up, I'm going to be late for work. So I called in, explained what was happening, and my, my squad leader said, don't worry about it, get in here as soon as you can. And we just left it at that. So I'm letting the car idle. Though hopefully the engine, um, heat of the engine eventually thaws it out. And so I go out a little bit later and I thought it was freed up. And so I go in, I tell my wife, I, um, I'm going to work and we say our goodbyes and off to work I go in this car. And I'm going down this little side, this little side highway and on each side, was hardly any ditch at all. I wouldn't have got off, if I went into the ditch, I wouldn't have got, you wouldn't get off the road. And there were these big boulders, it would have just tore up the car. And so I'm going down the road and there was a little bit of ice on the roads. And if you know anything about Tennessee, Kentucky area drivers in the wintertime, I love that section of the country. I love the people of Tennessee, Kentucky. But I'm sorry, and I don't mean to offend you if you're from that area of the country, but they don't know how to drive in snow or on ice. And they were slowed way down. They were only going 15 miles an hour or so. And sure enough, my throttle began to stick again. And I'm coming up on them so fast. I ended up passing them on, in, in the other lane. I come up to this T intersection. It's a red light. I can't stop. What am I going to do? Nobody's coming. So I fishtail around the corner and I head north on 41. I didn't cross all the way. I head north on 41. I'm still passing cars that are in the right-hand lane. Never saw the police car that was coming up behind me. And finally, now the, now the RPMs are really beginning to pick up. The throttle finally thaws out and it releases it and I'm able to control the car. Oh, I start relaxing. I see, then I see the lights. Wow, this guy's coming up pretty quick. So I pull over to the right-hand lane to let him go by, right? Well, sure enough, he pulls in behind me. So I pull over, and this police officer, he ends up arresting me. Don't worry, Pastor, I didn't go to prison. <laughs> Eventually, the charges all ended up dropped. And um, we, we, we did hire a lawyer because I was facing five to seven years in prison, and that scared me. Dee was pregnant at the time. So we did hire a lawyer. Everything cost me $377. And, um, but that police officer, he puts my hands behind my back. He puts those handcuffs on me. He arrested me. And at that point that officer 
had complete control of me. And that's the idea here, I think, that Paul is trying to portray. Yes, the love of Christ motivates us into his service. He constrains us. But the idea of constraining also has that idea of the, 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 the complete control. And so the Apostle Paul here, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us or arrests us. Because we thus judge, because we make a decision based on the facts present, what are those facts? Fact number one, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Okay, so fact number one, if Christ had to die to pay for the sins of all mankind, then, the, then we're all dead. So the, number, the first fact is that we're all dead in our sin. We're all sinners without hope. Fact number two, in that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for us. Fact number two, Christ saves us from our sin that we might live for him. That we might be controlled by that love which he demonstrated to us to serve him. And so as we move on, he gives us this motivation for service that we died, that he died for us, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And so we're motivated into the service of Christ because he died and rose again for us that we might live for him. We have two perspectives of this that we can take. You can take the perspective of the world, which says that the love of Christ restricts us or straps us down, and therefore we can't live, we can't be happy. Why, how can I be happy if I have to do what, what the Bible says? Well, if I, the second perspective is that the Bible motivates us or pushes us into the service of the Lord as a result of the love of Christ. And folks, that's the perspective that the Bible takes. And that's the perspective that we, as God's servants, ought to take. Not just for us, but to the lost and dying world. Because he loves them. He died for them. And therefore, as we read down here in verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You look back at verse 16, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ. And I... I you know, I looked at that and I thought, what in the world is Paul saying here? He's simply saying this, though we have known Christ after the flesh. Recognize the context of which Paul is writing. Christ is not that far removed. There's certainly some of those people may have seen Christ when he was alive. They knew him in the flesh. And I think Paul was certainly one of those Pharisees that was there um, when Christ perhaps was arrested and, and, and he knew Christ. 
He knew him in the flesh. But folks, I'm not 2,000 plus years old. <laughs> and neither are you. So how would we have known Christ in the flesh? We don't. We know him through spirit. As he lives within us. And so Paul says, we yet now henceforth know we him no more. And in verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You see, if you know Christ in the Spirit, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're a new creation, you're a new creature before him. And so he says, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so the result of Christ's love, we have salvation. And now we have a new creation as a result of his love. And, and therefore, because of that new creation, we have the ministry of reconciliation that God gives to us. And then in verse 20, we have the fact that now, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. Who, who is an ambassador? According to Webster's Dictionary, an, an ambassador is a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as re, resident representative of his own government or sovereign. So what does that mean as Christians that we are ambassadors for Christ? It simply means that we are the resident representative of God in the world today. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that we have the strength and the motivation to serve Him. Because He will build His church. And He wants to use you in that service to continue building His church. Are you willing this morning to let God use you to serve Him as He desires to serve? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time that you've given to us.